Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Uh, I can't regulate my volume. Like, I can't. <laughs> could like, could you ever? Google, Are you doing when, a bit? That's from a movie. No, no, no. Like, uh, <laughs> when we do these, like, I can't hear myself in my headphones. So, like, I'm just screaming right now. I have no idea how loud it is. But uh, my name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We're here. The gang's all here. So crack a beer. Join us for this next hour of podcast action. Let's just get right into it. We have a lot of fun and games for you for this uh, for this April Fool's edition of BSH Radio. Let's lead it off with Canada's own Kelly Hinkle. So I was glancing back at the Flyers calendar a couple hours ago, <laughs> and... Somehow it didn't click in my mind that there was a hockey game on May- on March 10th, which was just three weeks ago, and somehow it feels like years since the last hockey game, and it hasn't been that long at all. No, yeah, that's like I I I saw I got a text from somebody today who's you know friend of a friend of a friend of somebody who was like I'm hearing that um, Gary Bettman is adamant about finishing the season. I'm like, well, first of all, that would be nice uh, if he had that feeling in, like, I don't know, 2005, 2006. <laughs> uh, uh, and also, or 2004, but, like, man, what season? Like, they've been off for so long. It's going to be weird as shit if they, like, pick this thing up in the middle. Can't do it. Do you, uh, there was, uh, we'll get to it in a little bit, maybe, but do you, uh, we'll, we'll just get to it later. Let's, uh, let's introduce... From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I don't know if you missed it, but the Flyers did actually win something earlier this week. They announced the NHLPA player poll, and Gritty was voted the best mascot by the NHL players. I mean, with 69% too. With 69%? Yep, with 69%. How is he not wearing number 69? You gotta get him... (laughs) Like, Charlie, Char- I'm not going to, like, give away what you're doing, Charlie, but let's just say that there's never been a flyer who has worn number 69, not even Zach Ronaldo. Um, oh, he totally would have done it. Yeah, I, like, after he signed the contract extension, I can't believe he didn't demand it. Well, like, the closest thing we had was uh, Tomek, who always would wear 69 at development camp. and people, The sex goalie. Yeah, people started calling him the sex number goalie. Is he is he still with the organization? I don't. I, I don't think, think he like, is. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm 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 uh, unclear as to whether they've officially lost his rights or not, but I'm pretty sure they have. I think it, like losing his rights, it's like losing the rights to an insurance salesman. Like, um, well, okay, yeah, sure, someone else could sign him if they want, but why would they? Uh, yeah. So there's a there's some stuff going on in Flyers land. Uh, did did you actually say anything, Charlie? I'm sorry. No, I was trying not to sneeze, and I succeeded. I didn't sneeze. Oh, okay. Well done. Uh, oh, that's what I, like. Other than Bailey in L.A., what other mascots are there? 
There's that dumb bee in Columbus. Um, apparently Nash from the Predators bear. did well. Oh yeah, Nash. That's right. Oh yeah, and then there's funny. Yuppie from the from Montreal. The Montreal. Yeah, Montreal fans, has a, a weird Muppet. Yeah, they and think And then good. the the Maple Leafs have a teddy bear. For some reason. All right. Whatever. None of them. Well, way to go, Gritty. Way to represent. You're bringing it home. This is going to be just like that lockout year where the Flyers win a bunch of shit, and it's like, oh, great. Everyone but the actual Flyers playing. (laughs) They they won the the Calder Cup and the ECHL that year, right? I believe so. Trenton Titans, maybe? I don't remember. All right. So there is a little bit of Flyers news. Uh, We've been talking about this, it seems like, for months now. Uh, I've been worried that it wasn't going to happen. Charlie kept saying, You're, it's fine, it's fine. And for the first time ever, Charlie was right. Uh, <laughs> Who knew it could happen? W- Wade Allison signed his uh, entry-level deal with the Philadelphia Flyers. They did not lose his rights. He is not leaving us for the childhood team he grew up rooting for or whatever <laughs> people do that shit. Yeah, uh, I wonder who that wait. was. I wonder what team he rooted for. Yeah. I mean, he's a redhead, so it could very well be the Flyers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the redhead thing with the Flyers, though, is kind of a it's kind of a new thing. It's kind of a like last like, fifteen years. He's like or what, twenty one years old? Like, yeah, he's twenty two. Yes, yeah, so like a new he's his childhood was Drew's career. That's a fair point. Oh, God, that's you, depressing. You make a good point. <laughs> I know it really is like to think. Oh right, I'm like, th- like thinking about uh, there's a Kevin Hayes subject in here at some point, and I'm like, oh yeah, me and Kevin Hayes we're like the same. I'm like, except I'm five years older than him. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, Wade Allison, uh, he was number 17 on our top 25, under 25 list last week, and that's where we left off. So we want to get a little bit more Allison talking, and then we're just going to pick up the uh, the top 25 list, because what the fuck else are we going to do? Uh, <laughs> but uh, where do we think Allison fits in? Let's say, Let's say everything is normal. Let's say that the... The game is going on right now. Uh, the, the Flyers are playing, I don't know, tonight or tomorrow, whenever the hell the schedule says they'd be playing. They're making their playoff push. They have a couple of regular season games left. And then, boom, first round against the Penguins. Is Wade Allison like a black ace or something? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm very... I, I think we had this conversation like about two months ago when he was on his big run, and I was very yeah. skeptical of that idea. I, You know, it, it's really tough to say because... The contract that he signed, obviously, is a contract that starts next season. Now, if there was a hockey season going on, maybe he does sign a contract that allows him to start this season. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they still slide it, and maybe he signs like an ATO and plays in the AHL. Um, I'm actually, I'm not sure, because Western Michigan probably wasn't going to go to the tournament, right? Probably they weren't like that good this year, so there's I don't think there's any way he would still be playing. Plus, I think at this point the NCAA tournament would be done, right? The Frozen Four, isn't that? It, yeah, I believe so. Isn't that yeah. usually in like late March? I want to say maybe early April, end of March. Yeah, sounds right. Um, I don't think he was at that stage yet, but to be fair, Fletcher did say that um that he thinks that both Allison and Lazinski are close to NHL ready physically. Which I agree with. It's just we don't know how good they are in terms of how their game is going to translate to the to the National Hockey League. And I just I don't think he's a like you know a Kale McCarr, or a Chris Kreider type where you're so certain his game is going to translate immediately that you're going to rush him up into the playoffs. 
Yeah. All right, that's fair enough. Uh, you know, I just, I get excited about these guys. It's We've been hearing these, I feel like I've been hearing Wade Allison's name for so long. Uh, you know, a four-year college player. I'm just looking forward to there being anything going on. And since he signed <laughs> his deal, that's what it is. Now let's get back to where we left off last week. Let's pick it up with number 16, Mark Friedman. Friedman, uh, he's been with the Phantoms a little while. He made his debut last year. I think he played one game. And... He came up this year and didn't look out of place. And for a guy just looking to try to hang around right now, uh, carve out a niche, carve out a spot for himself in this NHL lineup potentially, not looking out of place is pretty good for what we uh, saw out of Mark Friedman. Yeah, I had him at 16. Um, I think so. You nailed it. Yeah, I know, right? I think he's at a. I think he's better than Robert Haig. So there's that. I don't. I don't know if he's better than Robert Hager or he's not better. at this point. <laughs> he's better. He's not. Uh, so uh, maybe they have the same level of good. Like maybe I'll give you that. On the good side, Mark Friedman and Robert Hague are about the same. On the bad side, Robert Hague is much worse well, than Mark Friedman. We don't know that though. I, mean, I do. Hal, you've seen Mark Friedman play all of what, like six NHL games? Yeah, but I've seen Robert Hague play a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very possible that Mark Freeman could be better than Robert Haig. He might be. I mean, Robert Haig's baseline is that of a player who doesn't drive play at 5-on-5 five five or even strength on the hole, is a decent penalty killer, and probably is okay at, uh, at suppressing scoring chances, but gives a lot of that back in terms of the little that the Flyers create offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Freeman is an unknown. So, like, if you're just saying that, well, he's you know he was good in the AHL— I mean, if, if, if you're someone like if you're someone who who extensively watched both Robert Haig and Mark Freeman in the AHL, and you say that I believe Mark Freeman was better in the AHL than Robert Haig, I am not one of those people. But if you're one of those people, I it can accept the certainty of Mark Freeman is better than Robert Haig or will be better than Robert Haig. At this point, like there was a point where we were all super excited about Robert Haig because we it hadn't was. seen him in the NHL. So, like, Mark Freeman might be bad. He might be good, but he also might be bad. And he's not enough of a slam-dunk prospect that I'm, I'm willing to go out on the limb and say he's definitely better than Robert Haig. Fair. I will go out on the limb. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing about Freeman, though, which, like, I don't think it's going to hurt the Flyers that much because I, I, don't think, I don't think this would happen to start next season, but his contract is up at the end of this year. And presumably they're going to resign him because he's an RFA. Like, that's not the concern. But the interesting part about that is that when he signs a new deal, he'll no longer be waiver exempt. So then mm. it turns into a situation at camp next year where is there a spot for him? If there's not, are they willing to send him down? If they send him down, is there anybody that might consider claiming him? It's just, I, I assume if he, if he were to be sent down in camp, he would probably clear. But that's a possibility you have to throw out there because sometimes guys get claimed. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I just feel like it's not like he has eye-popping numbers in the AHL and we've seen so little of him at the NHL. I just can't imagine a world in which somebody, another team, would outright release one of their players in, in order to make room for a Mark Friedman. No. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I tend to agree with you. At the same time, he is a right-handed shot, and he can skate. 
and teams are always looking for right-hand defensemen who can skate. Now he's a little small, you know, it's that probably hurts him a bit in terms of like how attractive he is to other GMs, but there is a skill set there that other GMs might be intrigued by if they're dealing with injuries and whatnot. I mean, who was the, like Mark Alt was nothing and he got claimed. I think he primarily got claimed because he was a right-handed shot. Mm. He was, like, old, too, right? Like, he had a large body of work when he, he was, like, 25, 26. Freeman's 24. Wow, he is? Yeah. Shit. Like, this is his time. That's he's why— He's kind of got to— Yeah, he's, he's kind of got to yeah. get it going here. Well, because he spent, what, three years in college, and now he's spent three years in the AHL. So, like, yeah, he's, he's at the point where next season, I think, is probably his make-or-break year in terms of where he's going to be viewed in terms of, like— is he an NHL player? Is he a quad A guy? Is he a career AHLer? Like you just th- these are the points where players like him, it, you start to figure out how the league views him. And next mm-hmm. year is a real pivotal year for him, I think. I got to tell you, Bill, when you and Ava have a kid, just make sure he's a right-handed defenseman. <laughs> Set up the retirement it's, fund early. <laughs> it's gonna be real tough for me to teach a righty, but I'm I'll, I'll have to figure something. You got out. to. Well, you could just you could just do what I did when I played hockey, which was I had no idea it was like the if you write right-handed, you should shoot lefty. So I just taught myself how to shoot righty. There you go. Charlie could have been something. I know, right? <laughs> Except I'm five foot eight and can't skate well. <laughs> Details. That's awesome. Uh, I, on my in my neighborhood, everybody shoots lefty. I'm the only natural left-handed, other than my next door neighbor Johnny, who was like four years older than us. But he broke all of our sticks so often that he would just give us his so we wouldn't tell our parents. <laughs> and he was he was left-handed, so the entire neighborhood plays hockey left-handed. That's like, Johnny Gaudreau? Yeah, I have uh, I Yeah, I wish. <laughs> if Johnny was my fucking gro- best friend growing up, I wouldn't be doing a podcast. I'd be drinking <laughs> beer in Calgary with him. Uh, all right, let's jump up to uh, number 15, my boy, the... 21-year-old, 7-foot-5 guy out of London, Ontario, Isaac Ratcliffe. He's not 7-foot-5, but he spent spent the full season with the Phantoms this year, and I I wouldn't call it disappointing because it's his first year out of junior, but, man, he was so productive in the OHL. Uh, What do you have, 91 goals his last two seasons uh, in the OHL. Six in 53 games with the Phantoms this year, 15 points overall. Everyone I've talked to about him, because he's a prospect that I have, you know, interest in. He's a big guy, lots of skill. Um, They say he just has a long way to go. He is a project. Mm -hmm. He comes in at number 15 on our list. You a little surprised by how high he's ranked? Um, I actually was a little bit surprised um, by how high he was ranked, and I think that a lot of it came on the back of the fact that he is a big boy and people love that shit and you can't teach size and all of these kinds of things. And also um, I know that Maddie and Brad um, are pretty, not, I don't want to say high on him, but them having watched quite a few more Phantoms games that I have um, don't seem overly concerned with the fact that he struggled a bit to start his AHL career so yeah I think there was just a a feeling 
within sections of the fan base. And I think there was a feeling on his part as well that he was a lot closer to the NHL than he actually was. Like, I think, mm-hmm. Ra- I think Ratcliffe came into camp last, the last fall and really thought he was going to, like, make a push. And he just wasn't there. Like, I mean, he was, there, he was there, but he just wasn't at that point yet. And this year was kind of a rude awakening for him in terms of understanding everything that he has to refine to become an NHL player. I still believe in the skill set, though. I think he's a smart yeah. player. I, I like his just his overall game. I kind of view him as a player who maybe, I don't think he'll be as good, but I view him as a player who reminds me a bit of JVR. Um, mm. in terms of the soft hands around the net, uh, in terms of kind of the underrated hockey smarts, except for the fact that I actually think that I think Ratcliffe is more conscientious defensively. I, I think Van Reems like has the better talent level, but I think Ratcliffe's a little bit more conscious defensively, even though JVR definitely upped that level of his game this year, which was great to see. Um, one thing that sucks about Ratcliffe's season is that everybody I've talked to said that he was, was really starting to click for him. Maybe it wasn't necessarily showing up in, like, the scoring numbers to a ridiculous degree. It was really starting to click for him uh, over, like, the last month or so in the AHL. Like, I had a conversation with uh, with Brent Flair for an article in January that I did, and he mentioned that he really thought Ratcliffe was going to have a strong second half of the year because a lot of the little things he was starting to pick up on, and they were real satisfied with his progression. And then, of course, that died because we're not getting hockey anymore. So, in a weird sort of way, this summer— it's it's so hard to say now that like the summer is going to be really big for a player because who knows what the summer is going to look what, like for yeah. anyone. What even but is it? it? There's definitely it feels more important for somebody like Ratcliffe to like not let the gains that he made over the course of his first season in the AHL just fall by the wayside because he's not on the ice. You know what I mean? And I don't yeah. know what the best way to do that is if you're not skating, but like. I would hate to see him show back up to camp next year and then be right back where he was last year in camp. And then this year almost feels like a lost year for him. No. And for a guy like at that size, man, it's, if there's one thing I know, you have a higher ceiling and that's, it's funny to put it this way. You have a higher ceiling with that kind of size because ah. of the time. Yeah. Right. You need one. Cause you're tall. Uh, <laughs> Get it. Doesn't fit through regular doorways. Uh, but code, you'll just have, there's just more you can do at that size. Like, okay, maybe he isn't JVR, but guess what? He, His reach, he'll be a good penalty killer. Just being able to put his fucking stick in the lane and his stick reaching halfway across the ice, he'll be good at that. And But we know he's sort of a project. We know he has to be brought along. It's tough to play at that size. I've seen guys just take a little bit longer. I mean, we know about Samuel Moran, never really, you know, never really got it going with the injuries and everything, but when you just watch these guys skate, there's so much that they have to work on, and Ratcliffe was really a bit of an anomaly because he had those soft hands, he had that skill. Uh, He's, I thought, more than anything, he just needed to get stronger and meaner uh, to really be able to become a true power forward. Um, It, it, yeah, it's going to be a weird offseason, guys like him. Like, the NHL might be going through fucking August. So what? where does that leave him in terms of development if, you know, it's not an offseason program because the parent club is still going? I don't know. Just real quick. This is one of those. So we're talking a lot about, we're talking about him, like, oh, he's taking a little longer. Oh, his first season was a letdown. Like, Brad made a good point that, Knack in his first season had a worse point percentage than uh, 
Ratcliffe. Yeah. And he took a while, and now he's outstanding. Well, outstanding, you know, relatively good in the NHL. Um, I just don't know when we got to a... It feels like we've gotten to a point where, like, if these guys don't, as soon as they cross over into the pros, immediately turn into what we've expected them to be, then somehow it's like, up. Oh, He's a project. Yep, he's going to take a lot of time. Oh, I don't know about him. We'll see what happens. It's like sometimes, like not every prospect plays in the NHL when they're 19. Like it's, that's not the normal path. The normal path is the Abe Kubel path where it takes a couple of years for you to get your shit together, especially if you're not the most talented player, if you're not a first rounder. Um, and that's okay, right? Like, it's not like a failing. Yeah, I think there's part. I think there's something to be said about and a lot of people who follow prospects do fall into this trap is is that you know, a guy who like people always will gravitate towards the the player they can dream on more than the player who's closer but you maybe have a better idea of what his ceiling isn't. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like, you see this a lot with, you know, guys in junior hockey. You know, guys like, I, I'm just trying to think, but you, you would have, like, for example, and, and, and I, I'm not saying that, like, this is, that it's, it's wrong to be super hyped up on this guy, but, like, everyone is losing their minds over Igor Zamula, and I think he's going to be good, but in comparison to guys who maybe were closer, like, I just, I, I don't... The unknown excites people, and then once you get mm-hmm. a better idea of what of when they become more known, and then they become real players with actual flaws, then they become less exciting, and then it's on to the next fun eighteen-year-old who we can dream on for the next three years. Yeah, that is it. Yeah, and that's you see a you see a six foot you know six foot six six foot seven guy who's got the ability to put up fifty goals and a hundred points, and you go, oh shit, this is something, and then you go, oh yeah, he's. He's still a prospect, but I do think that I do think we are seeing just so much more. Like it skews people because you see the big stories of like like Charlie said, like a Cal McCarr coming in in the playoffs and being the one of the best players on the ice on a loaded uh, Colorado t- team, and then coming in for his first full season. It's like yeah, he's a uh, he's probably going to win the Calder. Like you just get excited. I, I just feel like there's more of those guys now, even like not just the Crosbys, not just the McDavids. It's, you know, 10 guys out of every draft are going to come in within one or two seasons of being drafted. And it's not always the case, but it just seems that way. I, I just, I think, I think a way to look at this is kind of by range of outcomes. And, like, let, let's, let's, use, let's use Zamula as an example, okay? And, again, like, I would, I would say Igor Zamula is a better prospect than Mark Friedman. But let's take a step back here, okay? So somebody like Zamola is in the position where, you know, his ceiling, like his his projected ceiling, let's say, is a player who's like a 90 rating. Like, not like a superstar, but like, yeah, he, maybe he could be a first-pair defenseman if everything breaks right. His floor is like he has back issues the rest of his career and never plays a game, or he hits the AHL and just sucks. Like, do I think that's going to happen? No, but it's possible. Now, look at a guy like Mark Friedman. Mark Friedman's ceiling right now, like, we're pretty sure he's not going to be a star. He's not going to be a first-pair defenseman because if he was going to be, he would have shown that in the AHL. So let's say his, his ceiling is, you know, number four, maybe number three. 
His floor, however, is a good AHL player and a guy who can come up and hold his own in the in in the NH, in the NHL a couple games at a time. Now, Friedman's ceiling is significantly lower than Zamula's ceiling, and that's part of the reason why Zamula is a better prospect. But the thing that a lot of people tend to brush aside with a guy like Zamula is that Zamula's floor is way lower than what we know Friedman's floor to be. And that's something you have to account for when you're looking at these prospects is that like just because you're excited about a guy, just because you like a prospect, if he's still at the stage where his range of outcomes is extremely wide, you can't just disregard the possibility that it might be the worst case scenario for him. Mm-hmm. So what do you think what do you think Ratcliffe's range of outcomes are just to put a bow on this conversation? Well, I think I, I mean I would say his his ceiling is probably still a top 6 forward. If if he was going to be a star level forward, I think he probably would have torn up the AHL in his first year. So I I personally can knock that possibility, that realistic possibility out that he's going to be, you know, a a guy who becomes a core player in the franchise. But I think he'd be a second line winger pretty easily if everything breaks right for him. It's talking about talking about floor. He could just not be that good of an AHL player, and boom, that's his floor. So his floor is still pretty low. His ceiling maybe dipped a little bit from where it plausibly was going in the season, but. It didn't dip so far that he's no longer a viable prospect. Let us jump now to number 14, a more uh, a more recent draft pick. What the hell year do we take Brink? This I'm year. talking to myself Last now. Year. It was 2019. Okay, yeah. yeah. 2019, uh, first round pick, or second round pick, Bobby Brink. Um, Bobby you know, or uh, Brink. Yeah, I just, he was, was he the first of our uh, alliteration picks? Uh, yeah, because yeah, well, Cam was the first one, so Cam is not an alliteration. Yeah, pick. yeah, Cam, you're, and then yeah, Bobby Brink kicked off the uh, kicked off the superhero names <laughs> as a uh, as a freshman at Denver. He played 28 games with 24 points, 11 of them goals. Decent, really decent freshman year. Uh, freshman year for Brink. It looks like I don't know if people are super excited, but it looks like he could definitely be a key piece in this team's future ranked at number 14 ahead of uh ahead of some guys who are you know ahead of him developmentally when we talk about Friedman who's been in the NHL uh Wade Allison who's now graduated Isaac Ratcliffe who has a year pro Bobby Brink at 14 is this projection and excitement or is he legitimately like gonna be a top five prospect when some of our NHL guys age out of this I I mean I think oh sorry go ahead Charlie I think this is low I think he should be higher. Really? You think he should be higher. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 ha- I have him as the Flyers' third best prospect right now, and I hold to that. All right. See, I, I had him. So this now it's going to go a whole other way. I had him at 20. Um, and the reason being, so to be fair to me, because that's important, Charlie's talking about ranking prospects, and our list also includes NHL players because it's just 25 under 25, not just prospects. So. To be fair, I'm not that far off. Um, but for me, um, first of all, I have to acknowledge that every time I do one of these lists without thinking about it, I have like some like weird prejudice against NCAA players. I don't know why. I always rank uh, them lower. Kelly, than I, I I just don't trust college players. I yeah, just don't. I don't know what I, it I, is. I don't know. I just I I don't know. I just don't. I, I don't get the same excitement about their level of competition. That, it's see, not I even, know. Th- that's weird to me because I actually trust I trust college prospects more than I trust uh, Canadian junior prospects. Really? See, it's just like I don't. I guess because for some reason in my mind, and this is like a totally subconscious thing for me, 
I think of Canadian Major Junior as like a quasi professional hockey league, and then I think of college as college. Um, and that, I'm not saying that this is like right or rational or that this is the way that it should be done, but I'm saying like when I do these rankings, whenever I look back at them, I've always ranked college players lower than most people. But also for Brink, I feel like um, isn't his like obviously he can score, but isn't his skating like a little bit eh? That's the concern. That's always been the concern is that he he has like a choppy stride and he's not like he's not he's not big. He's like five mm-hmm. eight, so he's a small kid. No, he's kid. a small goal boy. Yeah. yeah, and generally the feeling with small players is that well, if you're going to be small, you better be really fast. And he's not really fast. But I think his skating has gotten better, and I just think he's a really, really smart player. I'm very high on Bobby Brink. And going back to this, uh, the college versus juniors thing, yeah, I, I've just seen so many guys who light up Canadian junior hockey from an offensive standpoint, and then none of it translates to the NHL level. Whereas oh. with college, what I like about college from a translation standpoint is that you're playing against older guys. Like everybody in Canadian junior is pretty much between the ages of 18 and 20 with some overagers at age 21. Like college guys, you got 24, 25, 26 year olds you're playing against. Like teams are not stocked with, um, you know, with all guys between the ages of 18 and 22. There are a lot of guys who, you know, maybe played in Canadian juniors and then decide to go to college. Like, after yeah. they didn't make the NHL. Like, there's a lot of older players in college, and that's why, like, I, I, I often think that one of the things that hurts college players when people do these lists in comparison to Canadian junior players is that Canadian juniors' offensive numbers just look bigger. Yeah. So, like, you look at it, it's like, wow, Morgan Frost had 100 points. He's awesome. And it's like, well, in college, that's probably, like, the equivalent of, 40 points in 35 games which in college is freaking great especially when you're 19 years old but like it doesn't feel as great because it doesn't it's not three digits like it is in juniors no yeah brinks 24 points in 28 games is a hell of a total for a freshman and for the comparison between the two the two levels i was like when we talked about range of outcomes a second ago i feel like the college guys they have much higher floors yes but there's just Mm -hmm. like there's just that like, I don't know, excitement of a potential star, I think, comes from the Canadian juniors. Like, it's just more of a factory of hockey players. And, yeah, like, there are, like, remember I Dream of Druin? Like, how crazy the, the Jonathan <laughs> Druin hype was? And now it's like, yeah, he's all right. You know, Jonathan Druin's a nice little player. He's cool. He's, he's good. He's, he's all right. But, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to gauge. But, yeah, I think people should be... Looking forward to Bobby Brink. It's going to be a little while. Uh, he played for uh, the USA in the World Juniors, had two points in five games. So he was out there. Um, what, like, what do we see Bobby Brink being for this team at he's some our, point? He's our Cole Caulfield. He's our right? small Cole We boy. got Cam York yeah. and we got the other Cole Caulfield. Yeah. So basically we had the best draft in exactly. 2019. <laughs> I, I think he could be a top six forward. I really do. I, maybe I'm too high on Bobby Brink, but I really think he Probably can be an not. impact forward. One thing that I that like I feel like doesn't get talked about enough with with prospects is the importance of age. And mm. when I say age, I mean age in relation to the draft class. Like he hasn't even turned 19 yet. Yeah. He turns 19 in July. He was young for his draft year, which means that like in comparison to a guy who turned 19 in October, his production's even more impressive because he's done it at a younger age. 
And it also means he was young for most of the NCAA season. Exactly. All right, so coming in at number 13, another prospect I am super high on. We've already brought him up a little bit, and it's really because we're going to be painting them blue lines red. We're going to have an all-communist top line, or top defensive pair one day, Igor Zamula. That's right. It's going to be him and Provy lifting that cup together. That's what I think. Uh, I just like Igor Zamula. They brought him in. He was undrafted. And I just thought he had a hell of a camp. His preseason, he was physical. He was aggressive. He was everything. I want to see a guy. He looked like a guy who was confident in himself and was looking to prove that he's way better than his undrafted status. He has shot up draft. Uh, he shot up prospect boards ever since the Flyers uh, signed him to a contract. And of course, as we brought up earlier, he's had the back issues, so he had a uh, an abbreviated season. Igor Zamula, what do we know about his health? Well, the Flyers seem pretty confident that he's going to be okay. Um, they feel like I, I, the the last I heard, they felt like. He was going to be able to play and not play, but participate in development camp. Now, who knows if development camp is even going to happen? Yeah. But I don't think there was much concern that he wouldn't be ready for regular camp. Um, maybe development camp was kind of a little like a hope rather than an expectation. Um, that said, back injuries are weird. You know, you never like to see a 19 year old having back issues. Um, I think he just turned 20. But, yeah, uh, he but he was 19 all last year uh, or all this past season. So you never like to see that. And it's a it's a temperamental thing. I mean, you, I feel like most of our parents have back issues and we grew up hearing them complain about them all the time. So we know how annoying they can be. Um, not the parents, the back issues, but the parents. No, as well, the parents. If you want to go yeah. that route. Um, so th- it's a concern, but he had a really big year. And I can tell you this, the Flyers organization are really, really high on this guy. They think he's a top six or a top four defenseman. I can totally see that. Yeah, um, just yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead, Kelly. Yeah, I was gonna say there have been a lot of comparisons to both Sanheim and Myers, which is obviously promising comparables to be made. Um, also, and I like again, I know we're not supposed to do this, but it's really hard to see a guy dominate as much as he did in the World Junior Championship and not be like, oh, okay. And that coupled with the fact that he was having a very good regular junior year as well um so it wasn't just like he was fine and then he came in and had a good couple of games in a tournament and then went back to being fine like he was doing quite well and then he was just like head and shoulders so much better than a lot of other players at world junior it was hard not to take notice and get a little bit excited about him yeah, I mean, his last 2018-19 uh, and 19-20, he's basically been a point-of-game player for the Calgary Hitmen. He had five points in seven games for Russia at World Juniors. Uh, he just, man, he's a guy to be excited about. Mm-hmm. 6'3", 176. He has room to, he has room to widen and uh, get stronger. Good frame, though. You know he can skate. He does a lot of things well. Uh, man, how he's just another guy. I just look at the measurables and go, unless he had a growth spurt, like the day after his draft year, how the fuck wasn't he drafted? Yeah, he, as everyone knows how much I liked Phil Myers um, the entire time that he was still considered a prospect. And this kid seems to be like Phil Myers, but a little bit better, which is like, Yes, I will take that on my hockey team. That seems very but good. But left-handed, so it well, cancels that, yeah, out the value that. added. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's a big deal, though. Like, I know we joke know. about it, but it's, no, it's a big deal for teams. 
But what if we had a right-handed Phil Myers and a left-handed Phil Myers together? That seems good. Yeah, you know, there there are some people who uh, who are who kind of are of the opinion that Zamula is or was a better prospect than Myers. I don't quite go there because I just I think the risk is higher with the injuries. Um, yeah. he's also nowhere. I mean, he's big. Like he's he's a big guy, but he's not. Like Myers is a physical freak. You know, he's he's six yeah. five. He's an absolute monster. He's an incredible skater, not just for his size, but just period. And Zamula physically is more like just a guy. Like he's he's improved his skating, but it's not amazing. He's he's gotten stronger, but he's not going to scare anybody. It's just that his biggest strength is his hockey IQ. So if you're comparing like him as a prospect to Myers as a prospect, I think it just kind of boils down to like. It boils down, I think, to what you value in a defensive prospect. If you, if you, the primary thing you look for in a defensive prospect is hockey IQ, he's got Myers beat. If the primary thing you're looking for a defensive prospect is what can he and what can't he do on the ice physically, like Myers blows him away. So it just boils down to what you prefer. Yeah, that's I say all the time. Like when we evaluate Phil Myers in the NHL right now, when shit just happens and he just has to react. You just see freak athleticism. Yeah. When he has a minute, I'm like, I can hear you thinking. Bro. Yes, he thinks way too much. He needs like, to stop. There's thinking. your helmet. Like your helmet is gonna blow up. I can see steam coming. <laughs> and like, I'm not calling him dumb. Like I don't think he's dumb. I just think he overthinks. And uh, Charlie just made a face. No, um, I, like I just think he's just one of those guys who's depended so long on pure athleticism. He has a coach now, and that coach is like, you have to do what you're supposed to do so the guy next to you can do what he's supposed to do, and he's always, he just looks like more of a freelancer. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Phil Myers fan, so I'm not, I'm certainly not, like, disparaging him. It's just that Zamula's biggest strength is his hockey IQ. Like, that, yeah, that, thought, that is the core of his game. I thought when I was watching him in his preseason action, um you could see the anticipation and things like that. Like, he'd be, it wasn't a pass came over to the guy he was covering, and then uh, and then he moved. He was on his way to that guy as the pass was getting there. Just little things like that. What we're going to do right now is take a little break, because these freaking, we talk about these prospects, and it takes up the entire show. So we're going to take a so break, long. and then we'll be back on the other side with number 12, all the way down through number five. So get ready for that uh, just on the other side of this break. All right, and we are back, and we are back with the germ. That's the germ. right. Number, uh, number 12, I can't believe he's not in the 20s at this point. Like, we just talked about how we're on to the next thing so quickly. Um He's one of Hextall's biggest, I don't want to say misses, because I was putting this together last night and this morning and looking at everyone drafted after the germ. Now, sure, they could have stuck and not traded down and then taken him, but it's not like there's any real sure things after him, but disappointing start to his professional career. 57 players from his draft class have played more than the four NHL games uh, Rubsov has played. Uh, in 42 AHL games this year, he has scored two goals. That is not good. Yes, yeah, is not uh, a great three year for players. Him. Uh, three players, Flyers drafted after the Germ in 2016, have played substantially more than him. Obviously, Carter Hart being the biggest name of them. But the Germ at 12, man, this I can't believe he's not like 23. 
So really? So I was I was surprised he's still this high because I mean essentially if you're looking at this as a like rank the prospects type of exercise, this exercise implies that he's the third best prospect in the organization behind Morgan Frost, who still qualifies as a prospect, and Cam York. Um, and I certainly don't think he's the third best prospect in the organization anymore. Um, so I was surprised he was this high. That said, I do think that there's a, like, I just don't know what happened to him. Because, so to kind of go back through his professional career so far. So he turned pro last season. He got off to a fantastic start where he was doing everything they wanted him to do. Had 10 points, including six goals in his first 14 games. And then he hurt his shoulder and was out for the year. And we're like, well, that sucks. But he had that great start where everything seemed like it was starting to click and it looked like he had taken a stride. He had a really strong development camp last this past summer. I really liked what I saw out of him. And then to start this season, he was he was hot again in his first well, let me I'm looking at his AHL numbers. His first seven games of this season in the AHL, because he didn't make the team, his first seven games, he had six points. So six points in his first seven games. Then he gets called up which you know, he had those those four games in the NHL, and then he gets sent back down, and then he did nothing. Like, I just, I, I don't know what happened, because if you say he got six points in his first seven games, that means he had seven points in his next 35. And I know that he was injured. Like, I know he was dealing with injury, had another shoulder thing that scared them for a little bit, but he came back. So maybe that played a role. But, like, everything was trending up for him until he got the NHL call-up. And then, I didn't even think he looked that bad in the NHL. Like, it wasn't a Vorobiev situation. He looked okay. He just didn't look amazing. And then he gets sent down, and he just went back to, like, being the Blair prospect we were worried we had when he didn't do much in the queue his second year after being drafted. It seems as if um, stability is very important in uh in him being a consistent player and that is just something he has never had whether it's injury it's a lot of things out of his control but injuries and trades and getting called up sent down russian doping scandals all this shit I, it it's not his fault all of it but it just seems like it's always something there's always some sort of excuse there's always some sort of reason that he is just not performing to the level he's supposed to as a first round draft pick from 4 years ago i i i'm not saying he can't turn it around i'm not saying he won't be something in the nhl i just it seems as if there's always some sort of issue with this guy so I think it's important to note that the Phantoms were kind of a flaming pile of poop this season. Yes, they weren't very especially good. after we like we started taking all their good right. players. But also, like, I do kind of think, and I forget who it was that made it on the site this comparison, but we had these kinds of conversations about Scott Lawton when he was still an AHL regular. We had conversations about, well, where does he fit on the team? What kind of player is he? How come he never does anything when he gets called up? He's always up and back down. Like I And I personally was someone who thought that they should have traded him because I was like, I don't know where he's ever going to fit here. There's not a spot for him. He never makes anything when he gets called up. And it it's likely that if the germ ends up, and by the way, I miss Steph so much, but I'm glad she's not here so that we can just call him the germ freely and it's fine. It's not as fun <laughs> calling him the germ without her, though. <laughs> it's so the mad. whole reason I like the nickname. <laughs> 
But I mean, like, I, I feel like his defensive game is pretty good. Um, and it's possible that, like Lawton, he needs to have the first round draft pick beaten out of him in order to be successful at the NHL level. And also, I've been having a lot of problem lately, mostly the centers around Nolan Patrick, with the fact that we never, ever, no matter how long it's been since the draft, we never let go of the expectation that comes with where these guys are picked. Like, okay, he was picked in the first round. That's not his fault. Like, he didn't do that. Maybe he shouldn't have been picked in the first round. Maybe the scouts didn't see what they should have seen. And he really is a second-round talent. And if he had been taken in the second round, would we be so pissed off that this is where he is in his development? I don't know. But I feel like at some point, after some number of years, you have to let go of the fact that he is a first-round draft pick, and that means that he has to be at this place at this time, and if he's not, he's an absolute failure. I just don't like that. And, like, I feel like with Patrick, we'll get to this, obviously, next week, probably. Like, at some point, we have to let go of the fact that he was taken second overall and not have, like, those can't be where the expectations come from, I think. I think the expectations have to come from how they actually play once they're a part of the organization. I don't know. I'm rambling. I, I agree with your overall point. I, I think my my surprise, and I think Bill's surprise to an even greater degree, isn't that people are giving him a hard time. It's that he's still ranked this high. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm with you in that we shouldn't be thinking of German Rupsov anymore as a first-round pick because he's part of the organization. Now he's just a member of the organization who's a prospect who's developing. But, like, clearly there is that feeling that he's going to figure it out if he still ranks 12th. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's No, but to Kelly's point, even if it's like this is positive, this is something positive that people are saying. He ranks 12th on this list. Like, everyone after him now is either an NHL player or thought of very highly. Um, like, the expectation, just because he was that first-round pick, oh, he's a first-round pick, so he's above, uh, you know, Zamula, who was undrafted, and Brink, who's just a point-of-game player as a freshman in the for a really good Denver team. Like, well, no, he's, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't compare to those two in my mind at all. That's, I mean, that's totally fair. But I think it's it's about that expectation. This is positive. It's not like how we hold number two against Patrick. Like, Rubstov is still, like, being given the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, the Phantoms are bad and all the like all these things. He had the shoulder injury. It's just so many. And I think there are a lot of legitimate reasons for him not to be as far along in his development as we'd like him to be. But... At a certain point, man, I can't hear this shit anymore. Like, all right, oh. you got traded. So fucking what? Everyone gets traded. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, ahead, I look at it. I look at it as like, like I did not come into the season, and I'm still not especially high on this guy. I do get the impression, like, just a little tidbit. I get the impression the organization is much higher on this guy than I thought they were, because um, they name drop him all the time. I'm not a huge Maxim Sushko fan. He yeah. had a better. He had a significantly better season in the AHL than uh than Rupsoff this year and he's a year younger than Rupsoff and that's concerning like that's legitimately concerning because I've never rated Sushko that highly and he's out playing German Rupsoff on the same team that's a concern you're talking me out of him being this high if I'm being honest 
Charlie's just prejudiced against the Belarusians. <laughs> clearly, clearly. And and just to clarify, like what you said about like I think that the 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 draft pick thing that I was going on about. It does work both ways. Like I also think yeah, yeah. It's, pro- it's problematic to give guys too much leash because they were picked at a certain point. Like if they suck and they were picked in the first round, they still suck. Like you can't just be like, yeah, but it's first round draft pick. So, and I mean, I, I, I get that maybe Rupsov is as high as he is because of that, but it, it does cut both ways. Like at some point, the draft position should mean absolutely nothing good or bad for these guys. In my opinion. And here's the thing. As wrong as we were about Bellows, Charlie, he does have 20 more goals in the AHL than, uh, than Rubsov does this year. So at least he's a better <laughs> AHL player. Hey, maybe we're, we weren't wrong at all. I, it, you know, what it really boils down to, in all honesty, is that um, everyone was wrong because everyone should have taken Alex to bring it. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there you go. That's... I think that's the lesson here. Also, Everyone's it's... always wrong all the time. Number eleven, Yam Cork, Yam. also known as also known as Cam York, uh, first round pick in 2019. The next Brian Leach, if I am to believe the oh, NHL no. Network's uh, draft coverage. Um, surefire, surefire Hall of Famer, maybe the best American-born defenseman ever. Let's just wash our hands and move on, right? That feels right. Well, always wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. I had him at 11. I nailed a couple of these middle. You're really hitting it. I wish I would have done one of these. <laughs> Kurt asked me, Bill, did you do this? And I went, balls. And they started getting published the next day. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, Cam's, Cam's interesting. I'm still very high on Cam York. Uh, looking at like his numbers, they don't pop this season from uh, from his freshman year at University of Michigan, 16 points in 30 games. But I still really, really like the skill set. And one thing that does have to be understood is that Michigan was pretty trash for most of this year, like particularly offensively. They just didn't score much. Um, there were a lot of times where he was I, – I made a point to watch a couple of his games, um, whenever, basically whenever I could. They were on TV a couple of times. Um, and he he's going to benefit, I think, a lot next year. Because Michigan's getting one of the best recruiting classes um, in college hockey coming in next year. And I think he's going to really, really take a big step forward by the numbers next year, even though I don't know if, like, I expect him to be a better player. But I don't know if he's going to, like, it's going to look like he became a dramatically better player, where in reality he just finally had people to pass the puck to. Hmm. No, like, when you're a point-producing defenseman, listen, someone needs to fucking score. Like... (laughs) You know, you're going to pick up a bunch of assists if guys can score. I don't think it's a huge, like, I don't think it's a huge coincidence that Shane Gostisbehere was a dominant, you know, point-producing defenseman, and then when Wayne Simmons suddenly wasn't the net front presence he was, that went away. Like, I, I, I think there's some sort of correlation there, and just being, listen, he's over half a point a game as a freshman at University of Michigan. He did make the World Juniors team. Now, he didn't put up any points, but being 18 on a team that's competing for a gold medal, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, his stuff with USA Hockey is really impressive. Um, I think a couple of the people, if I'm remembering correctly from when I read them, a couple of the people on the site did note um, that his numbers weren't great in his freshman season. But like Charlie said, he didn't really have anyone to pass the puck to. So that should shake itself out. Um, I think it's just pretty clear 
kind of you can just kind of tell with some prospects you can just kind of tell immediately like this is a good hockey player and I think with Cam York it's just there like that's a good hockey player there's no real question about it yeah, I mean, now, oh, go ahead, Chuck. No, I, I mean, I think the big question with with York, and this was this really was the question dating all the way back to to the draft, was what is his ceiling? Because mm. you know, you looked at his, you looked at the numbers he put up with the U.S. National Development Program, and they looked fantastic. And you, know, if you just took a glance at them for a defenseman, you would say, man, like this guy could be a superstar. The scouts, I mean, he doesn't play a. F- an incredibly flashy game. Like, obviously, he's going to score some flashy goals in college because it's college and you're not playing against NHL-level competition. But, like, he's more of just, like, an incredibly smooth, high-IQ defenseman. Um, really, there's there's actually some similarities between him and Zamula, except Zamula is significantly larger than, than Cam. Um, maybe Cam's a little bit more offensively oriented, but they're both high-IQ guys uh, from, a, from a hockey standpoint. And... Uh, and I think, you know, it's funny. I think his point totals were maybe a little inflated with the U.S. national team because that team was just so utterly stacked. And yeah, now that, his, I mean, that's a first-round pick team. Yeah, and now his points are a little deflated because he played for such a bad Michigan team. Like, I think his his offensive upside is probably somewhere in the middle between, like, eh, half point per game in his, in his freshman year and then, holy shit, 65 points in 63 games with the U.S. national team. Yeah, he seems to me like a, um, and this is, you know, maybe not the, like, Eric Carlson type, because those are once-in-a-generation players, but, like, somewhat of a Matt Niskanen, where maybe not as good defensively, but just smart, will get points because he knows where to be and how to get the puck through, things like that. When you say smooth, that's what I think, like a Niskanen-type guy who can make plays on both sides of the puck. All right, let's jump to number 10. We are into the top 10. Nicholas Albay Q. Bell, the fourth-line wonder, uh, finally broke out this year after a couple of years with the Phantoms, a couple of different um, uh, less-than-stellar attempts to stick in the NHL. He got his shot this year, and, man, he has been noticeable. I think I... Don't remember if Kurt sent us all of the final rankings, but he may have been the one that made one of the biggest jumps from last time we did this, which makes he sense. He had to have, right? Yeah, I mean, it makes uh, yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes did. sense. He's He went from, okay, he's a pretty decent AHLer to, yo, we need this guy. I don't care if it's on the fourth line. We need him in our NHL lineup. Yeah, and he looks great. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, he, he, he's in an interesting spot with these types of conversations because it kind of... Like, I feel like he's eventually going to settle in um, in these top 25 or 25 conversations, the same kind of place where, like, Scott Lawton did, mm-hmm. where you're like, well, he's an NHL player, and he's a good one, but he's not a great one, and he's never going to be a great one. So how do, you, how do you rate him in relation to not just the NHL players who have higher plausible upsides, but also the prospects? And so, that, so he's in an interesting spot here for me because he's – pretty much ahead of all the prospects aside from Morgan Frost who is kind of like a borderline prospect anyway because he hasn't fully he's played he's played NHL games he's played a significant number of NHL games so it seems like the consensus of BSH is that well he's a step below the NHLers the the other NHLers but he's better than all the prospects because he's a clear NHLer yeah that makes sense 
All right, coming in at number nine. <laughs> that was an easy one. Fo- <laughs> no, I mean, it's uh, like a guy like NAK. We do, if you watch him, you know what he is. That's yeah. there's nothing there. There's nothing hidden about NAK's game, man. You, and that's what I really enjoy about him. I, I don't care if it's only on the fourth line. I said, and Charlie's comparison to Scott Lawton is apt because I said this about Lawton last year. I don't care if it's only ten minutes a game. He's proven to me he belongs on my team. Let's jump to number nine. Former second overall pick, Nolan Patrick. His first two years in the league, he had 30 and then 31 points. And then, of course, we all know he has not played in 2019-20 due to the migraine disorder. Uh, A lot of differing opinions about Patrick just in terms of what he's eventually going to be, if he's eventually going to be anything. Nine seems pretty good considering what the rest of this list is going to be and no one's watched him in a year. How you feeling about Patrick's future with this franchise? They go out and sign Kevin Hayes. Obviously, Sean Couturier is a 1C. Morgan Frost is a center. And like Charlie said, he's had an opportunity. He's shown flashes. What do we uh, What do we think about Patrick moving forward? I don't know, man. It's hard to know, right? Like, I don't – none of us knows. Charlie, do you have – I don't – it feels like it's been 17 years, but um, back when there was hockey in those times um, – where was he? Was he practicing with the team or just skating with the team? I can't remember where he was. No, he was practicing on pretty much a daily basis. And, you know, probably wasn't, you know, fully. It, it, it's really tough to make the, like, cleared for contact designation. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he was making contact with his uh, with his teammates on the ice. Now, granted, I, I highly doubt he was going, like, 100%. And, you know, they, were, they weren't putting him in situations where he was going to, like, possibly get a concussion or something. But at the same time, they really didn't do many of those drills anyway. You know, yeah. once in a while, they would do battle drills. But, like, I can't even remember... I can't even remember them really doing a serious battle drill from the time that Patrick rejoined the team for practices. So it's just it's hard to say where he was. The good news was that he was doing well enough to practice with the team on a daily basis. And he wasn't taking like weeks off or three, four days off at a time. Like he was practicing with the team and he was even traveling with the team sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that was there. It the big question then just became when is he going to take the next step? And yeah. Vino made it clear the next step was going to be he was going to eventually get sent down to the AHL and he was going to get some games in. When that was going to happen, we really, you know, now we'll probably never know. But, you know, I've never been, I've never been that worried that he's like never going to figure this out. I, I think, I think he does get the migraine disorder under control and he does play, does have an NHL career. Like, I'm yeah, not concerned sure. this is career ending. I just don't know what he is as a player. Yeah. That's the thing. And that's a, for some reason, it seems like something that no one, a lot of, there were a lot of comments when the, the Nolan Patrick portion of this list went up on the site. Tons of people in the comments not understanding why he was ranked as low as he was. Um, and I, I, it's just like an odd thing to me. Like, no one wants to admit that even prior to the migraine situation, there were a lot of question marks about Nolan Patrick. There had never been a full season of like relatively good performance strung together. It was always half a season that he was good. There would be flashes where we would say, oh, look at that. Like, that's fucking great. And then he would go long stretches where it was just like quiet nothingness. And I don't think it's unfair 
I know people, it seems like people don't want to criticize the kid because he's been out all season, and I get that, but I think it's fair to ask in an organization that right now is pretty deep at center, where does this kid end up fitting when everyone is healthy and the lineup is optimized? I don't really know. Like, it's quite possible that Let's say the season's canceled, which I honestly think it's going to be. I don't know how they figure this thing out. Um, And we are just, like, fast-forwarding to camp next season. Is it completely out of the question that Morgan Frost looks better in camp than Nolan Patrick does? I don't think it's, like, completely out of the question. I might be crazy, but I don't think it is. So then what happens? That's a great transition point, Kelly, because let's just get to Morgan Frost now. He's ranked one ahead of Nolan Patrick, so the guy taking 20-whatever picks after him is now ahead of him on you know the organizational depth chart because he's on the team, and also, or he's playing at least, and now he's ranked ahead of him on the top 25, under 25. Morgan Frost is number eight. Patrick is number nine. This is what I wanted to ask, so I'll throw it both to you. Let's say it's October whatever, October 9th. This season gets canceled. What is that, like, if only one of them in the, is, is going to be in the lineup on opening night next year, who is it and where? I mean, I would still bet on Patrick because he's, I mean, we, we could say this was a lost year and it probably was, but he still has two full seasons of NHL play mm-hmm. and he's still very clearly established himself. Like his, if we're talking like ceilings and floors here, his floor is a useful NHLer. Oh, for like sure. It may, like it's not, it's not like he's going to one day forget how to be a useful NHLer. He was a useful player for his first two seasons. He may not have been as good as we wanted him to be. But he was a guy who is very clearly, clearly an NHL caliber player. Whereas Morgan Frost, like, do I think he's an NHL caliber player? Yeah, I do. Has he convinced an organization yet that he is? No, he hasn't because he's been sent down multiple times and he didn't spend this entire season with the team. So if I had to say one of the two guys is going to be on the roster to start next season, I would go with Patrick over Frost in terms of likelihood. That said, if I had to guess, I think they both will be. And the thing that's very interesting to me, this was something that um, that Chuck Fletcher dropped in his press conference. Um, I believe it was the one right after the trade deadline. And he dropped something that I had been hearing for a couple weeks before, um, you know, before uh, the trade deadline had passed, but he flat out said it on the record, which is like, hey, cool, thanks for, for confirming everything that I've been hearing. The fact that they are not opposed to using Nolan Patrick as a winger. So I would not be shocked if, like, the start of next season, they kind of roll with, like, all right, well, Nolan and Morgan, like, we're going to try both of you guys out at center because we only got one more center spot realistically in the top nine. And, like, whoever looks better at center, you're going to be a 3C. And the other guy, well, you're a winger or maybe you're going to get healthy scratch sometimes. Like, that to me, that strikes me as a logical way for this to play out because – Ron Hextall and his organization was wedded to the idea of Nolan Patrick as a center. Like mm-hmm. he, it was like Sean Gattari is a center. Okay, Nolan Patrick's a center. It was the same deal. Chuck Fletcher, I don't think his people are like they. They look at Nolan Patrick like, yeah, you know, we love him to be a center because center is where he's going to provide the most value. But like, he could possibly be a damn good winger too with his style, and we're not going to not put him there because we have to justify using the second overall pick on him. They didn't take him. It doesn't matter yeah. to them if, if, if he's a, if he's a winger rather than a center. They they weren't the team that picked him. And like, I I, I look at like a frost like is. 
at this point, Claude Giroux is clearly a center and Sean Couturier is, or Giroux is clearly a winger and Couturier is clearly a center, but, you know, they split the draws. I go, when, uh, when they were using Shen and Briere together, it was like, well, neither of you are the perfect center, so if you kind of just combine your duties between wing and center, <laughs> you're kind of the perfect combination. And when you look at Patrick and you talk about the hockey IQ, he's pretty good on draws, uh, strong um, strong defensively. He's got a good idea of what he's supposed to do on his side of the red line. And then you just look at the offensive upside and ability to make plays with the puck on his stick of Morgan Frost. Shit, man, stick them together. See what the fuck happens. Neither of them are the center. Let's say they're all three wingers. Who gives a shit? Like <laughs> Somebody will figure it out. Uh, the talent level will eventually come through, I think, with those two guys. I can't wait until the league comes around to the Bill Mats eliminate all positions form of hockey. <laughs> I, listen, I didn't, I didn't come up with this idea, but just looking at the best players in the league, man, like... Sidney Crosby doesn't have a position. You know what he is? The best hockey player on the ice when he's out there. <laughs> That's it. He'll back check. He'll fucking, if he needs to, he'll score 50 goals in a season. If he doesn't need to do that, he'll be a Selkie nominee. Like, that's just what hockey is. You got to adapt. All right, let's move on to, now we're into just some NHL guys. Number seven, Phil Myers. We've talked about him ad nauseum. Just what do you think um, Phil needs to do to take the next step? Like, what we all know what he does well. What do you think he needs to do to solidify himself as like, yes, he is a number four defenseman in the NHL? Well, I think he's already a number four defenseman in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I, to, to me, it's, it's can he make adjustments to be a number two defenseman in the NHL? Like that, that is, that's my ceiling for Phil Myers. Phil Myers' ceiling with the Philadelphia Flyers is right-hand defenseman on the top pair with Ivan Proverov. Now, does he get there? I don't know. But he's already a good second-pair defenseman. Like, that's what he became this year, and that was so super exciting. Now, what does he have to do to become a top-pair guy? I think he has to become better at anticipating plays. I think he has yeah. to. We, I think, Kelly, I think you mentioned it earlier that he reacts to things. I would love to see Phil Myers not have to react as much and to just kill plays before they even start because he anticipated what was going to happen rather than have to make that incredible recovery where he breaks up a play and it's awesome to watch but it's like you know not look not even making this comparison but like there's plays that somebody like Chris Pronger never had to make because they never got to the point where he had to make them Mm -hmm. and you love to see Myers get to the point where he doesn't have to have those incredible recoveries as much because he never made the initial mistake that allowed the rush to happen in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Bill in that I think that the really the only flaw that he needs to overcome is the fact that he thinks too much um, about what he's trying to do, especially in the Flyers' own zone. Um, he, in my mind, it's probably a confidence thing, I'm thinking, and I am willing to bet that just like another full season – playing with Travis Sanheim, that pair was so good that I think he's just going to get there naturally. Like, I'm not at all worried about the flaws that he has in his game. I think it's just a matter of him playing enough in the NHL that it's just going to work itself out because of the talents there. Yeah, I mean, we talk about guys like you don't really know what someone is till 200 games. They haven't reached their, they haven't reached their ceiling till 400 games. 
we're talking about a guy with what is he? Does he have a hundred games? Like he's still very, very early in his NHL mm-hmm. development. But I do have one small. It's just a request I have of Phil Myers. Get your stop getting your shot blocked. Just stop. You're one of the most dynamic athletes on the ice. Pump fake. Do a little something. Just just stop hitting the guy directly in front of you with the puck. If it gets through and hits a defenseman skate right in front of the goalie, ain't nothing you can do. But the guy right in front of you, you're looking at him. Stop hitting him with it. Jesus Christ. Number six, Joel Farabee. Joel. Oh, I have a six, too. God, I fucking crushed this. (laughs) We're over an hour already. Oops. Oh, well. Number six, Joel Farabee. Uh, he, we talked about like how you stay in an NHL lineup, and Farabee, for the most part, has proven even when the point production isn't there, he can do things to keep himself in an NHL lineup. And for the brief period where he was like playing with Sean Couturier, homeboy was putting up points. Yeah, I think the thing with with me with Farabee for me is that he like so quickly proved that he belonged in the NHL. It was like a one period adjustment and then he was like, Yep, I'm an NHL player. Like it it was no adjustment at all with him. And uh that's pretty exciting. I mean, like with Frost, when he would get called up, it never seemed to click so quickly. With Farabee, it was just like immediately, Yep, he's an NHL player. I think there's there's a lot of parallels you can make. Um, maybe not stylistically, but it just in terms of value added, there's a lot of parallels you can make between Joel Farabee's, uh, that, you know, this season, which is essentially his draft plus two season, uh, and Travis Konechny's draft plus two season. Mm. The, the production's going to end up looking pretty similar if you look at it from a point-per-game standpoint. But, you know, we, we go back to this concept of, um, you know, like, range of outcomes, and, you know, there have been a lot of times where people have asked me, you know, going into a season, like, who should I be rooting for to make the team? And I'll, I always say this. I always say, always root for the best Flyers prospect to make the team. And it's not just because it's exciting and because, well, we all want to see the flashy new player. It's because the earlier a guy makes the NHL, he just gets put into a more favorable bracket. Like, in terms of plausible outcomes. Because if you make the NHL at age 19, you're more likely to be a star than a guy who makes the NHL at age 20 or age 21 or 22. Now, I'm not saying guys can't do that. But it's like, you know, maybe if you, you know, not even looking at anything else. Not even looking at point totals. Not even looking at draft position. Like, if you make the, on average, if you make the NHL at age 19, maybe you have a... 15% 15% chance of becoming a star. Whereas if you make the NHL, you're the first time at age 21, you maybe have a 5% chance. And yeah, there's other factors that go into this, but the earlier you make the NHL, the earlier you can convince an organization that you're NHL ready, the more likely it is that you, the higher your plausible ceiling is, the more likely it is that you can get to that point. So always root for guys to earn their way into the NHL earlier because it just bodes even better for how good they could eventually become. And we're seeing with Travis Konechny this year. You know, Travis Konechny was not this year's Travis Konechny right away. It took him a few years. But now, he's a bona fide first-line player. I look at Joel Farabee, and I see a guy who in two, three years, he could be a bona fide first-line player. Yep. Finally, at number five, Travis Sanheim. Sanheim's sophomore year, I thought, after that ridiculous Hackstolian freshman year, uh, he was just great last year. The travesty? The yeah, travesty. The travesty. <laughs> That's right. The travesty. 
Uh, and it's been so, it, it's so far out of my mind. I forgot about my trademark, Charlie. That's, that's, uh, that's how great he was in his sophomore season. I thought Sanheim's first half of, uh, this year was disappointing. Um, he seemed to really turn it on in, uh, from, from really, from when the Flyers looked great from January on. Did he have the most points out of Flyers defensemen? I think he did. I can't remember. I don't remember hockey. Um. I am ridiculously high on Sandheim still. I had him ranked three. Um, I just personally feel like I'm sticking to the idea that in 10 years, Travis Sandheim, we're going to look back and he's going to have been the most important defenseman on the Flyers roster during what I'm assuming will be a dynasty stretch of cup runs. Um, of course. Yeah. Outstanding. I just, <laughs> I just feel like as good as he is and as reliable as he is, I don't even think we've seen the best of him yet. Like, I still think that there's improvement to come to his game. Like, we haven't gotten to his ceiling yet. And that, I think, is pretty exciting because he's already pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite there. Um, I know. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Sandheim fan. I've been a big Sandheim believer for a long time. I still look at him as a guy who I'm most comfortable as my number three. Because I just think he makes a few too many mistakes for me to be comfortable giving him, you know, 24, 25 minutes a night like you do Ivan Provorov. I, I think the value he'll provide in that role will be immense. I just, I don't know if I see him as a first pair defenseman ever. Um, but, like, he's already 24. I mean, I know he just turned 24, but he's already 24. And usually at that age, it's kind of like what you see is what you get. And maybe he'll be an exception. You know, the agent curve doesn't work the same for everybody. But... I'm, let me put it this way. I'll be pleasantly surprised if he takes the leap that you seem to think is inevitable. So I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm necessarily saying that I think that he will replace Ivan Provorov as the number one defenseman okay. on the team. I, I think that they are extremely different players. And I think that you need a player like Ivan Provorov to be the guy that eats up the minutes. And I don't think Sanheim is that kind of player, but I, I kind of think that the value that he would add offensively as a whole for me, I think will end up being more valuable to the overall success of the team. Like I, this isn't necessarily a knock against Provorov. Um, I, I just kind of think the player that Sanheim is for me, I kind of just think is more I don't want to I don't even want to say important I don't know how to describe this I just kind of think that the offensive side of his game combined with the defensive side of his game is something that will provide more value to the team as a whole on the ice towards winning a Stanley Cup than just eating up a lot of minutes and that kind of thing here's uh like when you get to the when you get to the conference final and there are four teams left in the playoffs. All four of them probably have a great number one. Yeah. Sanheim as a number three, like, yeah, like Charlie said, I think he's more of a second pair than a first pair guy. And I I'm, would agree with that. I'm comfortable with him there. It's just that him at 27 years old, I think would be the, like, could be the difference in terms of your blue line depth. Like what Kelly's saying, like having yeah. him in that spot, a guy who in a pinch could be your number two or something, uh, with that 
potential dynamic offensive talent. He has, He's shown flashes of it, not all the way there yet, but yeah, I think him as a third-pair defenseman on a good deep blue line, or a second-pair defenseman on a good deep blue line showed, like, that could be the difference in, you know, a really good series against another cup-contending team. Thank you for explaining that much better than I did, because that's exactly <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> Well, that's exactly where we're at in terms of the top 25 under 25. We'll have the uh, one, two, three, and four spots for you next week. I know this is a this is a longer show. You guys have been hanging out. You two have been uh, have been part of this with me. I'm gonna skip the rest of the outline, but I do want to just get to this very last thing because I alluded to it at the top, and I just think it's funny. I put on the outline. Well, it has happened. I'm so desperate for material, I'm putting Eklund in the show. <laughs> and I linked I linked to a, a Hockey Buzz tweet. It says, So I just got off a Skype call with an NHLPA source, and they have agreed that should the NHL playoffs take place in July and August, all games will have a five-minute five-on-five OT and then be decided by a shootout since the ice conditions that time of year won't support long overtimes. Your thoughts? I got so pissed off when I read this tweet <laughs> that I like I had to physically log off and like take a walk around the house. I would rather we just not do it than do it that way. <laughs> just don't do it. That's fucking terrible. Like anytime every time the Olympics come around, what is the thing we complain about the most about international hockey? I cannot believe they're deciding these important games with a shootout. This is an absolute travesty. I can't believe this is happening every single time. I am not here for a Stanley Cup final that involves a shootout. I'm, I, I'm not willing to do it. Yeah, I can't imagine they would do this. I, I it's would be, horrible. I, I just, it, just the the concept that like the ice won't be good enough. Do you think the ice is fucking good in June? It's not. Yeah, that's the the <laughs> fact that they're using that as the like the Turn ice the air is con never up, good. Like even like the Flyers used to have these. Like the Flyers ice isn't even great half the time. We were in winter when the season ended, and their ice wasn't that good most <laughs> of the time. Like you let the Devils win three cups, they played in a fucking swamp. But I'll tell you, just based on the reaction to this, I want to see it. So oh God, bad. you are such. Why are you so chaotic, evil? I I wish I wasn't this way. Like when we were talking about <laughs> when we were talking about the Contrarian Show, which led to the you know relaunch of yelling about sports. Charlie was like, oh, you know, you just come up. I wish I came. I wish I purposefully was a Contrarian, but I am not. No, this, this is you. Just ha- this is just how I feel. <laughs> I didn't know that everybody hated shootouts until I was already like, I like them. Oh um, do I, like, imagine a game seven of the Stanley Cup final. I can't. And I'm, it's fucking I, a shootout. I, uh. People would be so mad. And that's like, I while I don't purposefully have contrarian views, I do enjoy when people freak out about shit. And my God, like. Twitter would catch on fire. Everyone's phones would combust. Yes. And that would be funny to me. I mean, it would be funny. Do you guys think they're going to play? I don't think they're going to. I, I, man, I want to, I'm keeping up hope. I'm trying to be optimistic, but like, no. And all the leagues are so. They're all waiting. They're all waiting for one of them to make the decision. And they're all so invested in this not fucking up next year too. 
at a certain point, the only way for that not to happen is to cancel this year and focus on next year. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's wildly out of sports commissioner's control. Like, if the virus hasn't peaked and people are still getting sick at doubling the rate every single day, we can't go back to business as usual. But I, if it's just about controlling what you can control... I don't see how they don't just call it and get everyone ready for next year. Yeah, I mean, like, with Toronto canceling everything until June 30th, and, like, I could see New York City following that kind of suit as well, considering how bad things are getting down there. Like, if you can't play NHL and NBA games in the cities where you're meant to play them, I don't know how you do this. Like, I don't know how you do it. And the NHL's in such a unique position where they are still gate-dependent, like, oh, yeah. fans paying to come into their games is a very important part of their business model. Where, like, the NBA, all their money's TV money. The NFL, all their money's TV money. That isn't the case for the NHL. So, I, like... Here's the thing. Like, if there was a Flyers game on, I don't know, like, July 15th, and there are still people going to the hospital with this fucking virus, are you going to a hockey game? Because I'm not. Not a chance. No. no. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't... I don't think people are accepting how long it's going to take to get back to normal. It's going to be at least the entire summer, so you might as well just call it now. All right. Well, that on that optimistic note, Yay! that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. You know what to do. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. Hit subscribe. Give us good reviews. Make our day because we're in this with you, fam. We're going to keep pumping out the content. I'm sure you've seen Charlie and I talked about Highlander. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) Kelly's been doing all sorts of shit. Uh, She's just motivated beyond belief. We're going to keep doing all sorts of things. There's going to be yelling about sports probably tomorrow. Uh, I say probably like we don't have a date and time for uh, (laughs) recording. There's going to be yelling about sports tomorrow. So hang out with that. Uh, Yeah, thank you. We're with you. Um, Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about 